0: It goes without saying, our world is growing bigger and more complicated every day, especially in our urban centers where economic and political fortunes are beginning to shift and reflect the values of a much more culturally diverse population. Despite the devastating effects of failing banks and climate change, there are rising many new opportunities to tap into the dynamic energies and financial resources of previously underrepresented members of our society. Leading the way towards a positive outcome in a brighter future is urban revitalization strategist Majora Carter. Can
1: you give me an idea, first of all, exactly what is an urban revitalization strategist?
2: An urban revitalization strategist, or me, (laughs) is a person who identifies, in particular in low-income communities in our inner cities in the States, um, looks around and sees what the problems are, what the failings are, and figures out strategies to improve them both socially and environmentally, as well as economically. And you have to have all three involved because it's not just about putting Band-Aids you know, on these communities. It's literally about increasing the quality of life economically, socially, as well as environmentally.
0: Majora Carter was the keynote speaker at the Biennial Breakfast Meeting of the Outdoor Industry Association during the 2013 Outdoor Retailer Winter Market in Salt Lake City, Utah. Sharing her thoughts on strategies for urban revitalization, she impressed upon those in attendance the importance of reaching out to underserved communities, in particular people of color. Now that the majority of the world's population lives in cities, it is in these urban centers where we must now strive to achieve lasting change for the benefit of humanity. Working in the South Bronx borough of New York City, Carter is putting together solid plans to make this and other communities across the U.S. into vital centers of sustainable economic growth and development while helping to protect the environment. With the creation of both green jobs and green spaces in the heart of our biggest cities, Carter hopes to encourage an ethos of conservation that will serve the interests of wilderness as well. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project.
1: Now, the bulk of your work right now is in the South Bronx. Now, you you work internationally, but specifically in the South Bronx, what exactly have you done to revitalize that particular urban setting?
2: Sure. Um, We literally wanted to sort of... Flip the script on what was considered development in our community. So much of it was actually around noxious facilities and burdensome things of that nature, waste facilities, power plants, et cetera. And we wanted to change the landscape by creating more ecologically sound development. So it started with parks then greenways, and then we even went to people and started one of the country's very first green collar job training and placement systems. Now we're moving into real estate development because we understand that you can use real estate development as a platform for a social, environmental, economic change. If it's done correctly and strategically, it can be a transformative tool, which it has not been used that way before in poor communities.
1: So what's the disconnect? How is it that we even need to have someone like you tell us that the spaces that we occupy perhaps as residential areas or as businesses require some type of revitalization?
2: The disconnect is that there are really low expectations placed on poor communities in general, and the people that are in them, the electeds that allegedly support them, the regulators that you know are supposed to be regulating them, and you know that kind of dynamic has been going on for generations to the point where I think even people who live there believe it. And I used to be one of them until I realized that wait a second, if we can create the infrastructure and the supports to allow better things to grow. Because no one will rise to low expectations. You can't. So, But if you raise the expectations and give people the tools to rise to them, they can and they will.
1: And apparently they do. Just looking at the, the slides that you showed in your presentation today, you have revitalized these communities, especially when it comes to urban parks. Mm-hmm. I think there's also an opportunity, and this is what I find fascinating, is to perhaps bring industry back yes. to these areas. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing with regard to what you described as boutique manufacturing.
2: Oh, Sure, real estate development, and using it as a transformational tool for our communities is, is, is front and center in my mind. It's all about increasing economic diversity in currently poor communities. And to do that, you've got to create a playing field that allows the type of industries to grow in that place so that people who were not gainfully employed before with the proper training can be employed in those type of things. So manufacturing and moving manufacturing into the 21st century, we are never going to go back to where we were you know, in the 60s and the 50s. It was that golden era is gone. We can change it, and so I think that when we looked and follow the trends of like what's actually happening, boutique apparel manufacturing happening domestically because Asia is no longer the great deal that it once was, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that going forward. So when we're talking about what are the, the specific pieces, you know, whether it's whether it's outdoor industry manufacturers, whether it's high-end couture, you know, what can we bring into these communities so that the people who are actually doing this work can actually see their product and actually get a, a better or like you know in real time understand what's going on with their product and do it in communities that absolutely need that that kind of revitalization going on in it right there and then but meets the core business strategy of these companies so boutique manufacturers are absolutely the people that I want to start identifying to look at these you know post-industrial cities as the next place for them to be locating
1: Now speaking specifically about the outdoor industry I remember because I've been in this business long enough to remember the days when most sleeping bags, were made right here in the United yeah. States. Most technical jackets, especially those that had Gore-Tex, were created right here. They moved over to China. I'm curious to know what is it that needs to be different about those manufacturers now to reach this new model that you're describing?
2: From my conversations with some folks in the outdoor industry, there has to be an emphasis on quality in design, and I think Developing those relationships with folks that are here and raising expectations of what's going to happen is going to be really important going forward because I do think that we have to redevelop relationships that have been lost. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, it's not going to happen overnight, but we are building, you know, the the foundation for us to grow what is essentially a nascent industry in the states again. And I think we can get the right players at the table, we get our governments, you know, we get the the businesses who are interested in doing this thing, let them apply corporate social responsibility, but do it, you know, with a capital C. so that they're doing their core competencies and work with municipalities and and really work with with the kind of of groups that want to see people employed, then you've got something really valuable that's going to grow.
1: And you're not talking about philanthropic institutions here at all. You're talking about real-world economic development. Now, we've talked about manufacturing. What about specifically with regard to retail? We have an industry that is predominantly populated in terms of employment and in terms of consumption in a, frankly, unwhite majority that's starting to shift. Um, What what can we look forward to with regard to uh, racial diversity when it comes to the outdoor industry in particular?
2: Oh, I think that, you know, when you really stop and think about it, the outdoor industry, much of it, is um, outdoor-inspired fashion which we know already has a certain level of cachet, you know, within um, inner city communities. But I still think that we haven't really brushed the surface in terms of really building the kind of market transformation that the folks there could really be a part of and really becoming serious customers for even much bigger and better things. I think that there's a whole host of people out there who would be interested, you know, in being consumers of stuff if they knew that it was there. It's not like poor communities don't have money to spend. They do. I mean, we're in and of ourselves, it's an enormous, it has an enormous amount to the GDP. Mm-hmm. I would personally prefer if they're spending their money <laughs> on much more healthy ways to be healthy, which is really kind of exciting to think about it. So the idea that we've not really investigated how do we explore that, it seems to me that that's an opportunity just aching to happen.
1: What do you suppose it will take? What what does the outdoor industry specifically have to do to perhaps corner that market?
2: Oh, work with people like me to come up with strategies to help make it happen. Seriously, moving people to see things in a different way. That's what you have to do. It means you, you need to know what they're looking at, know what inspires them, and then figure out ways so that these what we consider strange bedfellows can find common cause you know, to work together. You know, and, and it is gonna be, you know, through job creation, it is gonna be through audience development, it is gonna be through education. And it's when you add all those things together, then you've got market transformation that supports obviously the bottom line of the business, but also supports communities and their revitalization in ways that we have not even thought of before. And Those two things together, I'm really interested in people being taxpayers, not tax burdens. And right now, unfortunately, that's what we have in our inner cities because there is not the kind of economic diversity. There is not the kind of really deliberate strategic economic development going on that can literally put money in people's pockets in a legitimate way and allows them to grow and be a part of the tax base. I want to support a tax base by supporting local economic development. I think the outdoor industry can play an enormous role in helping to make that happen in areas that there's been far too little positive economic development happening.
1: Now, you're clearly very enthusiastic about this, and I think that you have a lot of really great ideas. What do you see as some of the problems or some of the pitfalls that lie in, in wait for what you have planned?
2: Um, you know, it's it's bizarre but I don't see that many pitfalls to tell you the truth. Because you know, at least what's been so encouraging to me here about the Outdoor Industry Association and folks that have been around with it is they see and they understand that America's demographics are changing. And it's not honestly, for lack of being PC, sorry about that, but it's not like done in this like really bizarre, you know, white guilt paternalistic way. It's just like, you know what, times they are changing. We need to roll and let's figure out a way to roll. And I respect that so much. And so I'd love to partner you know, with these folks and go to municipalities and be like, look, we want to invest in these type of communities because this is gonna support business development in your city. I think that is a powerful combination, you know, to do. I think it's also great when you bring in utilities who are just like, how do we create, you know, how do we like reduce demand because we know we're not going to be able to build power plants, so we have to figure out ways to like support, you know, our own business model here. Maybe we should be thinking about ways to to reduce energy consumption and support people to do that so that it, it actually helps us in the future. You know, maybe conservation groups also because they're also seeing, you know, like the, they're they are their main clientele, frankly you know, like the aging and white baby boomers who are dying off and who don't see national parks, you know, because they're dying, you know, as, as valuable as they once did. And guess what? American demographics are getting darker and more urban and they may or may not go to those places. We still want people to care about them, which means you start building places for nature where people live so that there is a connection and so that there's value everywhere. And so again, all strange bedfellows, sometimes they've never talked before, but bringing them together in ways that ultimately support and improve the quality of life, economic and otherwise, in these communities is the way that we can change the world.
1: Okay, so what's the first next step? What do, we, what do we do first?
2: I've got a whole stack of business cards. <laughs> and on my next trip, I'm going to sit and, and type up to people and just be like, how can we work together? Because I, really, I feel really both empowered and impassioned you know, to help this industry help us. Because I think I'm going to be able to help them. So when we can find common cause that way, and we're both looking at we're looking at our own self-interest through the eyes of someone else's self-interest, guess what? Powerful, wonderful things can happen. And I am excited about this—the prospect of building climbing walls in inner-city communities around the country, and having that be the first access, you know, for a kid in our community to then go climb, you know, Denali. Because they know that there's a that there's a link. I mean. How cool is that? How cool is that? I mean, buying the gear, then going someplace else and doing it. I just those type of things just like give me chills. It really does. Yeah, we've got a long way to go but I think we're sitting at such a beautiful moment where things great things could change.
0: You can learn more about Majora Carter and her work as an urban revitalization strategist online. Visit MajoraCarterGroup.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. New music this week by Jake Shimabukuro. Check out his latest album, Grand Ukulele, available now on iTunes. The Joyture Project is made possible with the support of sponsors Patagonia, Rayovac, the New Belgian Brewing Company, and the Outdoor Retailer Winter Market. Visit their websites on my website at com. Thanks for listening, but you know, I want to hear from you. So please, drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at com. Go be joyful, and until next time, take care.